Hey everybody, this is Mark Knobloch uh, sitting in for Jeremy Jackson with the Sports Medicine Broadcast. And so today we have Dr. Nix. Dr. Nix is a, is a radiologist. He just gave a talk at the Sports Medicine Update about sports imaging. And so the first thing I'd like to do is, Dr. Nix, could you just give a real brief, brief background about yourself a little bit? Thank you very much again. It's uh, been a huge pleasure being here. Um, I'm, I'm going to have a long name. That's how I go by Nix. And uh, I actually have a slightly different atypical training for a radiologist. I'm an orthopedic surgeon in training from England and really? did my board certification across there and then ultimately ended up in Scotland to do my radiology across and then crossed over the pond over here to come to UT. I've been here for 14 years to do a lot of sports-based stuff, uh, heavily involved with the local team, the Texans, and also we look after the Rockets and uh, the UFH as well and now after the Dynamos and the Dash as well. Okay. So we have a heavy involvement with uh, all the sports-based stuff that goes along with it, with imaging components of it, both diagnostic and an intervention components of it. And I, I loved your talk because, as I mentioned briefly, that finally gives us an idea of what you all look for. So many of us, we, we know what an MR is, we, we understand how it works, but we've never actually been walked through to get the final diagnosis. And that's neat because you're the one really that makes the diagnosis in so many cases. So you're not a traditional physician in terms of you don't go walk around and see patients. So what is a normal day like for a radiologist? Do you, do you literally sit in a room and stare at a screen all day or do you make rounds? How does that work from a radiologist aspect? That's a great question, and uh, I think I'll have to divvy up into two components there. Uh, the reason for that is a traditional radiologist is one who's sitting in front of a computer all the time looking at a PAX monitor where images are flown, you know, shipped into you from different centers like MRI units or ultrasound or whatever it might be, and then you interact with them and you try and figure out what's going on with it uh, based on the brief history that's given to you. Uh, in my situation, and for, uh, fortunate for me, I have a very interactive practice. I mean, like have a reading station in the clinic as well, where okay. I'm actually right in the middle of the clinic. And we are one level below from our clinic uh, floor, so we're actually about 20 times a day in the clinic really? facilities as well. And then the 15th floor, uh, we're based on the 16th floor, and the 15th floor is where the OR is, and I also get a scrub in with these guys to okay. do diagnostic and interventional procedures. So mine is probably not the more typical mm -hmm. scenario for radiologists, but uh, I love my practice because it's very, very interactive. We get to see our patients, and because we do a lot of ultrasound, both diagnostic and intervention, you actually interact with the patients as well. So, so you mentioned something. I was always curious about how much information do you have? So you have an image on your screen. Is it, you know, obviously the patient or the physician's taking notes during the patient's uh, history. How much information do you have? Do you have a nice long thing or do you have two sentences that says enter shoulder pain fell on it? What do you work off of other than looking at the actual image? I think uh, radiologists will love you for it and they'll probably keep you engaged in a bar for a very long time <laughs> with this conversation because we don't get anything. You don't get anything. <laughs> we get very little, very, very little. We love to have more. We get very little. I mean, I have to appreciate my orthopedic colleagues and, and my sports guys because I have their cell phone numbers and I call them mm -hmm. and say, hey, what's going on? So you and actually so you seek get a little more, bit information more information yourself. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, because it's, it's like more stuff. I mean, the old adage of garbage in, garbage out is so true. Although you have a systematic method of actually interrogating a set of images and trying to figure out what's wrong with the patient, if you actually have the story to go with, you actually come out of the phenomenally better diagnosis based on what you actually have. So we'd love for any information from anybody for that matter. Uh, be it uh, the, the physician who actually looked at it, be it athletic trainers who actually interact with it, be it the PAs, mm -hmm. or even the technologists who actually interact with the patient face-to-face. Uh, -face. And so that is something that's very, very valuable to okay. what we do. Okay, great. And so in your talk, you showed a lot of images, and thank you for that. It's so nice to see what you're looking, versus you just saying, oh, and then we'll look at slices. How do you know when, what's, what's the standard that you look at? Is there a standard that says, I see this clearly, therefore it's a good MR? Or how do you know when it's 
fuzzy tissue it's a fuzzy image or it's it's inflamed tissue how do you you know how do you differentiate the two that's again a great question as well because adequacy of imaging is super important and this is something that i wish patients knew as well unfortunately there's different kinds of machines all over that's available you have anything from a point to tesla which just gives you an idea about what the magnetic strength of an mri is all the way up to commercially available three tesla and now a few seven tesla machines as well which mm. are available so as far as payment and, and concern about what you have a, a patient going through these centers has no idea whether it's point two or point right. uh, three tesla the higher the tesla the more signal that you get from it and you get a better image quality as well for majority of the things. So seven is about the best Seven is have. the best you can, okay. but the very few in the nation, I think there are about two or three right now. Oh, wow. Seven. <laughs> so we're talking about very, very early times in seven. But three is, again, the basic kind of standard okay. that you want to think about. So when you look at one of these images, you want to make sure, it's is it free of movement? Because that's one of the biggest things in MRI. And how much of artifact is there? So when you think about imaging mm -hmm. in general, I would say 95% of a radiologist's job is to try and figure out, is it normal or mm -hmm. is it abnormal? Right. Once you figure out that component, you're pretty much down the right track at that point. So when you're assessing that, you're looking at the image quality, you're trying to look out for artifacts, particularly breathing movements as such, and patient competence, and staying in one of these studies as well. So yes, you are looking at all those things before you start analyzing the images for okay. whether you're looking at something that's real or not. So so a lot of what you do is obviously structural in nature. How do you, how do you or what do you look for in a patient that maybe is dizzy? Or has balance issues? How do you? I mean, and let me let me back up. This is a two part question. Do do radiologists specialize in an area, or do they are they just a radiologist? And then so so let's say you do a lot of orthopedics. Right. What do you do when an athlete has dizziness? Do you send it off, or do you still are you still able to look at that? So uh, my job is actually so I'm I'm a professor for, of uh, musculoskeletal radiology to be more precise, okay. and and orthopedics is what my my professorship is from the university, and I'm pretty much confined to things that I've got bones a little okay. bit of muscle, and something to go along with it. So if you show me a neuro image, I'm pretty much in the dark at that okay. point. So I would okay. have to tell you. At least so you admit that. You're absolutely. willing to say that. So, so, oh, well, we'll, <laughs> no, I'll figure it out. No. So I know how to send it to my colleagues who are, who are definitely trained in this. Just to give you a very brief run through the training, training for a radiologist, at least definitely in this country, I want to talk about the United States more about than my training, is the fact that you have to go through medical school, obviously, and come out and do one year of internship of a clinical-based stuff, either in medicine or any, any branch of clinical stuff. And then you end up with four years of residency on top and typically one or two years of fellowship on top. Wow. So it's a long track yeah. that you go through. And people would subspecialize in their fourth year and, and then in their fellowship years into what they want to do. And in radiology, just like every other body part, you have your musculoskeletal radiology, neuroradiology, okay. you know, OBGYN and everything else together. Okay. So you, you're actually a unique candidate for this because you were a type of physician. What made you want to become a radiologist when you one overall but also you were already an orthopedic surgeon so what made the switch and what drove you to radiology and, and what is it about it that's exciting for you thank you that's that's again thank you for the question um so in the british training system we don't have pre-med so you pretty much jump into from high school to med school really and yeah absolutely and the postgraduate training program is pretty large it's about 10 years long so uh, one of the things that you want to do when you go into a surgical specialty is my orthopedic training in years was six years in it, and I both certified, and I didn't practice outside that. But then while you're doing the training, you also get to rotate through other, other departments. One of the things that I rotated into was, again, vascular surgery, which gave me a huge interest in understanding how vascular...
vascular interventional radiology happened. And that was my primary thing. I said, wow, that looks interesting. How okay. do you do minimally invasive stuff by using imaging to try and treat patients with the very minimal invasive stuff? Just like how laparoscopy or arthroscopy made a huge ton of difference to how patients were treated. So that excited me, and that's how I started scratching the surface of radiology at that time. Once I stepped in, I could see if I could marry up the two features that I can use my skills as a clinician with the skills of imaging, and that's exactly what's exciting about it. So it's a situation where you should come and see us in our clinics all the time. It's like we have these challenges to figure out. Mm -hmm. We have a patient. We have a problem. We clinically can examine this. And then we, what do we do next? And then at that point, we do imaging. And it was like, let's find out what the answers are. And, and that's where we problem and, solve. And on that note, when, <clears throat> when you have a, so you have a patient that has, let's say, shoulder pain or right. something not, they can't really narrow it down. At what, how long does it take you to, to determine that the MRI is normal? Versus like, I'm going to look at this again and I'm, you know, is there a, is it, is it hard for you or do you say, do you know in two minutes that that's normal or how does that work for you? So again, it's a, it's, it's a point of how much information you have. So let's say that it comes and says, this patient classically has an impingement story. It's for sure. They're not macro instability. They definitely have a story of impingement. That's exactly what's happening with it. With that kind of information on board, you pretty much can take only a couple of minutes to run through MR to realize what's the basics of this maybe a little bit longer, and then find out what the nuances of it. If you don't know a story at that point, then you go through your entire checklist of how you go through. And I would recommend, since we're talking about imaging, anybody out there to actually start having a checklist approach towards imaging for that mm -hmm. matter. It might be any imaging for that. And it's very, very simple as long as you understand the basics of it and keep it very simple. Like you start with every tendon, every little muscle, mm -hmm. and then and you go have to go back and forth through the back slices, and, every exactly. single one. Yeah. And, and once you get a practice of it, Literally, I can tell you, I mean, like looking at an EMRI, for example, will take us anywhere between two to three minutes to be a mm -hmm. good job once you start doing it as a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And I know some of the orthopedic surgeons, particularly Dr. Lowe, is phenomenal about it. I keep telling him all the time I'm worried about his skill set because he's going to take all the radiologist guys <laughs> out there. That's how good he is. But you realize that's exactly what happens. Once you start practicing it over and over again, you go through the checklist and you don't miss many things at that time. How many MRIs do you see in a day, do you think? We run into about 40 to 50 as a minimum a day. And what's the, what's the tough ones? What are the one like is there a structure that you really have to challenge you really you know that's you know you say acl maybe two minutes you can and those are pretty obvious but is there any maybe orthopedic or sports related that you're really like man these i I don't want to say you don't want to see them, but when right. you see them, it's like, ah, this is the tough one. What is, is there something like that you experience? Absolutely. I mean, like, so one of the most challenging stuff for particularly musculoskeletal radiology is the post-op radiographs. <laughs> and the post-op imaging, sorry. Not just radiographs, but post-op imaging, particularly post-op MRI. You now have to tease in what was the problem before, mm -hmm. what was done for it, and what is the current problem? Why is this patient still having problems okay. with it? And how do you deal with that? That is the single most difficult one, in my wow. opinion, because you'd actually have to go through the same you know, routine. But now you have altered anatomy, which is completely different, which somebody else altered it, and you mm -hmm. are either privy to the information or not privy to the and information. you have to figure out, is it, if it's altered, exactly. is that okay, or is Correct. it causing problems or anything Correct. like that? Correct. So um, what do you see, where do you see imaging going? Do you see... Uh, MRIs, obviously, they're going to technology going to improve. Is there anything else on the horizon that's going to help athletic training or or athletic, I say, act, but activity related people? What do you see? Uh, are arthrograms the new wave of the future? What What are you seeing in the future from this? I think I was going to answer that in two parts. One is to say I, I want to plug in, put a plug in for clinical skills. Uh, the reason why I say that is because. I mean, I went to medical school in the 1988 is when I started my med school. And then with this huge emphasis on clinical training when we do these things. 
But over the years, you can gradually see that's coming down, unfortunately. I would rather mm. say that if we can improve our clinical skills, we not only become better clinicians, but also get better imaging and better quality understanding of what's going on. That'll be the first thing I want to say. But at the same time, what, what it's done is we've become so imaging heavy now because mm -hmm. patients and, and physicians want to use the modern technology that's available. So what do we have around the horizon? We have a ton of things that's happening around, particularly. There's improvement in technology as far as CT scans is concerned. We're talking about things like we can now find out bone marrow edema, which is completely a purview of what used to be only in the MR realm. We can start seeing those on CT. Why do we need to talk about it? Because we're talking about things like weight-bearing structures, which actually having bone marrow edema, just like the spine, for example. I'm just going to pick on the spine for a second. And if you have spine bone marrow edema, you really have to take precautions with this particular patient. Although there's no current compression, this might lead to compression. This is something a CT scan identify. And then you'll find that this is going to be more rampant because there are more CT scans available than there are MRIs available. A CT scan average costs about $750,000 to $800,000. Now we're talking about MRIs, which are $1.5 million plus and things like that. So, so between the two costs, you're going to have more availability of that technology mm -hmm. available as well. The next thing that I think is going to take off in a big way is ultrasound. I mean, like, I actually have an ultrasound in my bag right now that connects <laughs> to my phone. <laughs> I carry it with me everywhere. And I, I pretty much trained in Europe, so which is what we... You, you kind of use ultrasound for pretty much everything. And I think that technology is really ramped up, that the, the power of a phone and the processing capacity of that and the process and the transducer is good enough to produce imaging. So I think that's what the next step is going to be. You're going to find physicians being trained, medical students given all these probes all the time. You're going to find athletic trainers using it all the time to try and figure out what different structures are going to be. And in the MSK or musculoskeletal realm and in the athletic training world, I think that is definitely the future. And uh, just to give you another carrier, is also to say, even for uh, putting in central lines now in a hospital system like Memorial Hermann, it is mandated that you can only do a central line under ultrasound guidance. You mm. can no longer put a central line by yourself without really? any assistance. The reason why is because you can actually visualize the structure as it goes down, and that's the reason why we actually do And you need to be in there for that, correct? Uh, not necessarily, no. I mean, like, no? so this, this is where the, the realm of imaging is getting to a point where there are components of it, like the ultrasound, which is going to be used by everybody. Okay. And then availability of images, obviously, packs and the modern you know, display systems have made it so easy that everybody's going to be able to look at these images when we look at things. So I think images are going to get more and more into every single patient care because it's black and white to some degree to show the patient, here's what that malady is, this is what fits with your story, and that link is very important. Not individually, because here's something on MRI we want to treat you. Please don't do that. And uh, you know, connect it up with a clinical story and then make a difference at that yeah. point. I think that's I mean, your images were so neat out there, and I'm just oh, waiting for the day. It's pretty soon they're going to be color, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. We and have so a lot of things. pretty Absolutely. soon you're going to see things like micro tears and, and then just waiting for the sensitivity of that to just get improve, improve. And it's amazing now what we have. And now you think that's what, 20 years, maybe oh, yeah. 30 years of technology, yeah. where we're going to be in 20 years from now once we already have it and can yeah. improve on it. So I think it was amazing. So You should, you should see some of the new, what's called cinematic rendering, and I didn't bring in images today, but you should see them, and they're really real lifelike, and uh, it gets much, much easier to see what they're going to I mean, your job, you're going to put oh, you yeah. out of a job. If we, you we're salivating it. at what the next 10 years are going to do, <laughs> and we haven't even touched this question about what artificial intelligence can do and things like that. That's a very interesting topic by itself, but the next 10 years is going to be amazing growth in imaging as such. You can see and it, with you know the, the emphasis on non-invasive techniques, Absolutely. how could you not image almost? Right. And, and right. hopefully the cost comes down. And oh, yeah. you know, the technology gets better, it may get more expensive, or the cost may come down. But um, it's it's really exciting for, for for medicine to know that this is where we're heading, and, and we're getting to this phase where we can literally see a picture of it without getting in there. So, um, well, Doctor Nix, I want to thank you. This has been a really exciting talk, and you you gave a, gave a great talk, but your energy in, in the interview was 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 really neat as well. So. 
Um, Thank you very much for having me around. It's it's been a phenomenal experience. I work with you guys all the time, and it's always nice to get to know you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank, thank you. you. I'm going to turn it over to, to Jeremy Jackson here, and he's going to close us out. And Dr. Nix, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for your thank talk, you. and thank you for helping athletic training. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks. So I want to just remind everybody that, that you can join the email list. That's where I'll send out like updates and things about like that, stuff like that. But uh, Dr. Nix, did you give a way for people to contact you? Was there like a social media link or a website you'd like to point people to? Absolutely. I mean, like you can get me on my email address, which is available publicly. It's easy as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can send in a hashtag link as well to my uh, Twitter account if that's of any use. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and tell me the Twitter oh, and yeah, then I'll, sure. I'll include it as well. It's just one of those long ones, but it's uh, it's it's uh, MSK. It's uh, it's M K M S K E R. M K M S K E R is my Twitter. M K M S K E R. K -E -R. Yeah. All right. So we'll add that on there. And whenever I post it, I'll, I'll make sure I tag you on there so people can find you on there, follow you on there. And I'll have the email. Again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash imaging and sports injuries. So again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash imaging and sports injuries. Um, any final uh, thoughts you'd like to leave athletic trainers with before we close it out? I, I think I've been amazed and fortunate to interact with a huge number of uh, athletic trainers all throughout, almost on a daily basis. And I think it's a phenomenal specialty where I learn a lot from as well. I watch people both on the times, particularly in the locker rooms all the time to see what you guys do to get the patient back, uh, play, players back on track. It's a phenomenal experience. And thank you again. It's been a great opportunity to interact with a lot of people here too. Thank you again. All right, very cool. Did you get to ask him about the high school athletic trainers and ultrasound and... All right, so uh, my friend Sean Reedy out there, he does rodeo stuff. And so having that ultrasound available in the trailer is something that he didn't even know about. Um, but I've seen a lot of, or I've seen several high schools getting the ultrasound units for the high school. Can you talk to me just a little bit about um, how prevalent you see that? And then um, where is that going to be most beneficial? I think we touched upon very briefly about what availability of ultrasound is. Uh, it's come to a form factor which connects to your phone now. Mm -hmm and it can be driven about the base power on that. Uh, the reason why it's, uh, that's important is because that raises availability all the way around. It's an extension of your physical exam. I believe that it's the future of how we're gonna actually interact with patients, particularly about how superficial lesions or things like that is concerned. And it's a great thing to have even in a high school setup. I would definitely recommend that. And one little caveat about the whole situation is trying to understand what those images show you. It's because when you put a probe on, anybody can, it's absolutely the right thing to do, is to try and understand what the fuzzy image looks like and what actually, how do you discern your way through it? In other words, training. Mm -hmm. So as long as you have enough training and to try and practice over and over again, it's just like everything else, it comes out with a great amount of detail and it's amazing that what we can discern on ultrasound today with modern imaging compared to what it was about 20, 30 years ago when I started doing this stuff. Yeah, it's like when the orthopedics send the images of the surgery that they've looked at, that they've done through the scope, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is the meniscus. I'm like, I can't tell that. So, yeah. Right. So, right. with a little bit more practice, Absolutely. I would be able to. So. And there's lots of online modules as well, which can help trying to figure out where uh, you can get that training. And it's nothing as good as practicing on each other and uh, helping out that way to understand normal anatomy. We just touched about it briefly as well. Just like in everything in imaging, including ultrasound, it's knowing what is normal. Once you know what is normal, it sounds very silly, but once you know what's normal, you're almost 95% through. All right, so again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash imaging and sports injuries. So imaging and sports injuries. Uh, and then that, that way, again, you'll have the contact information there and just a little bit of uh, extra stuff. So Dr. Mark Knobloch, I appreciate all your help through the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Dr. Nix, and then will you say your last name? 
it's Kumaravel. It's one of those things that he can't say. So. Kumaravel. All right. And so Dr. Nick's Kumaravel, I appreciate you joining us, sharing your knowledge and wisdom. And like uh, Dr. Nabak said, just the energy and, and just the uh, fun that you had out there presenting. So thank you very much on behalf of the Sports Medicine Broadcast live at the Sports Medicine Update. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks. It's my